Welcome to the podcast, Let's Talk Sped Law, a podcast dedicated to discussing special education rights of children with disabilities. I'm your host and special education attorney, Jeff Forte. Now let's talk Sped Law. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Sped Law. Uh, Today we have um, a very special guest on, and that is Dr. Chris Bogart one of the uh, founding owners and partners of Sasco River Center here here in Connecticut. And we're gonna be talking about the importance of multidisciplinary evaluations and and when they're needed, why they're needed, uh, for the benefit of all of you that are listening um, across the the country. Uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Bogart. Dr. Bogart is a licensed clinical psychologist, and he's worked in both the private and public sectors for the past 25 years. And he works with children, adolescents, and parents. He has extensive experience conducting comprehensive psychoeducational evaluations, um, program consultations for both parents and for local school districts. Um, He supervises doctoral students in psychology um, and before today, I didn't know this, but he um, got his doctorate's degree at American University, which is where I went to law school. And his undergraduate training is at was at Georgetown University. So, Dr. Bogart, thank you so much for being on on the show today. I really look forward to our conversation. Welcome here. Thanks, Jeff. It's really good to be here. Hello, everybody. So, you know, first of all, let's let's get your information out so folks can know where to reach you and your multidisciplinary team at sasco, S-A-S-C-O, sascoriver.com. Now, Sasco River is is a fairly new reinvented um, organization. Can you tell us a little bit about how Sasco River was kind of the merger of two, um, uh, you know, two therapeutic centers before it became Sasco River? Sure, so the the history is that um... I've actually been here in Fairfield County for about 30 years. Uh, and for the first, uh, you know, 18 or so of that, I was in private practice. And what I discovered, you know, in private practice as a clinical psychologist, you know, there are a lot of areas that you can do a lot of great work, but you often are left in a position of feeling that you've only solved or helped a child or a family to a certain degree. And then you're reliant on other professionals, you know, sometimes a language pathologist because of a communication issue or an occupational therapist because of a sensory issue. Um, And so what I constantly found is that it was often hard to get that team to work in a coordinated fashion, that even though we all, you know, wanted to be collaborative, uh, you know, finding the time to discuss the child or communicate with the parents always became a challenge. And so as I got further into my private practice, I, I felt like you know the, the model that would really work is to bring all of these people together under one roof and to work in a way that is much more holistic and comprehensive. And so, uh, you know, 12 years ago, I founded a, a, a center called the Southfield Center, and uh, we have our location in Darien, Connecticut, <clears throat> and the Southfield Center was uh, you know, a, a group of professionals, multidisciplinary, uh, made up of psychologists, psychiatrists, language pathologists, 
um, educators, and our work was predominantly with kids with uh, uh, learning or emotional challenges, working with them and their schools, uh, working with them and their parents uh, to hopefully stabilize and move them towards their, their best development. As we got further into things, we realized that we were missing a big component. We were missing that sensory motor development piece. And I started working with um, a woman named Melissa Kahn, who was the owner and founder of Sensory Kids. And the two of us had a very similar way of thinking about things in terms of uh, really very often needing that integrated approach to children. And so uh, the two of us began collaborating. We ended up opening up a center together in Wilton and then decided that it was going well. So we decided to more formally uh, partner and we opened up the Sasco River Center back uh, January of last year, January of 2020. We opened up the Sasco River Center and we now have locations in uh, Wilton, Darien, and Stamford. Um, we've got uh, about 60 plus professionals that cover all of those areas of psychology, psychiatry, occupational therapy, speech and language, education, nutrition, uh, all of those different pieces. And we, uh, uh, even though if, you know, a, a person comes to me and I'm their primary person they're working with, I've got the benefit of these other 60 professionals that I can turn to for input support, sometimes form a multidisciplinary team uh, to be able to provide a more comprehensive and holistic way of dealing with the child. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing for, for the folks that don't have the visual because we're an audio podcast. I mean, I'm on the Sasco River Center website right now and just the breadth and scope and the resumes of the staff that you have is, is really second to none. And, you know, you, you really underscored it that when you're needing to take that multidisciplinary approach with all of the subspecialties, it's really great to have it kind of all under one, um, under one roof where you could all really talk about how to further advance a child's, uh, you know, needs and address them appropriately. Um, you know, one question though, right, that we often kind of get uh, from, from the parent's perspective is, well, so that's what the school team's there for, right? The, the school team arguably is the multidisciplinary team of, uh, of a, of a child's IEP. And so in that regard, a parent may get, um, you know, pushback if they're requesting that the multidisciplinary approach be taken elsewhere to either be, you know, uh, uh, you know, parent funded or mutually agreeable evaluation based funded. And can you talk about that, that space and that discussion where if a parent is feeling that they want to get a second look with a multidisciplinary team. How, when does it arise? Um, you know, how does the referral come? And, and can, you walk, can you walk parents through that process a bit? Sure, yeah, and that's a, that's a great point in terms of you know, what a school district <clears throat> has is they do have uh, the bulk of those professionals uh, under one roof and uh, the bulk of those professionals who can uh, you know, create a, an individualized education plan that covers uh, all of the main learning needs as well as the related services like occupational therapy and speech and language. 
Here, here's the thing I would say, and I would say this, you know, I have a, I have a very good relationship with pretty much all of the districts in the area and have done a lot of work with the districts, uh, supporting their teams, uh, helping to work on kids who are, 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 you know, having some complex challenges to be able to move them uh, forward appropriately. And I would say this if, if, you know, one of these special ed directors was on this call, I'd say the same thing. I'd say the difference between the way we approach cases and the way it happens in district is that just by the nature of uh, a school and, the, and what they're delivering in terms of their services, there, there is a, in, in some ways just almost more of a, a tendency or even a need for some of these different professionals to work a little bit more within their individual discipline. And so even though they meet as a PPT, you know, a planning and placement team to come together and form an integrated IEP, an individualized education plan, even though they are working as a team, when you get the reports from these different disciplines, they're, they're individual reports. So the language pathologist is looking at it as a language pathologist and looking at the speech and communication issues. The OT is looking at the fine motor and the sensory piece. The psychologist is looking at the cognitive and the uh, emotional piece. The uh, special educator is looking at the academic piece. And so they're all looking at this kind of in their own individualized view, and then they try to blend it after the fact to pull it together. Our approach is, is a little bit different. Our approach kind of goes at it from a different direction that the evaluation, when we decide to do a multidisciplinary evaluation, from the beginning of the evaluation to the end of the evaluation, it's done in an integrated fashion. So the team gets together before we even jump into the evaluation and talks about what components need to be a part of this and would it make sense for the psychologist to observe the child in the sensory gym to see how the child's reacting to that situation or the, uh, you know, the person doing the uh, educational piece would be working with the language pathologist in concert so that we're looking at phonemic awareness and we're looking at rapid naming skills in concert. And so, so from the very beginning and at different steps of the process all along the way to the final report that's an integrated report, it's done in an integrated fashion so that you don't come to the end of it and say, you know, oh, well, I think that the issue is all of these sensory pieces and the kid needs, you know, 30 sensory sessions over the next two months. Oh, and I know I'm the uh, language pathologist and I think the kid needs this. I think, you know, and you don't end up with recommendations that are all of these individualized pieces. It's meant to be blended together with the prioritization of, we need to address this first and then we can get onto this and then we can get onto this. And it's done in a more integrated fashion from the get-go so that the results are blended, the recommendations are blended and the parents guided through the next steps in a way that doesn't feel quite as overwhelming to them. Right, right. And, you know, to, to sprinkle some of the law in this, under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, uh, the, the definition of multidisciplinary, the, the legal definition is, it means the involvement or two or more separate disciplines or professions with respect to the evaluation of a child and the assessment of the child and the family. And it may include one or more individuals who is qualified in one or more disciplines or professions. And 
you know, what you're talking about on the, on the clinical side is literally mirroring what, what, uh, you know, the, the legal definition under the IDEA is, um, you know, w- one question though, that we often will get is, uh, you know, what level of deficits does a child, you know, typically need to present with in order to even start to have the discussion of requiring a multi, a multi-professional, multidisciplinary type of evaluation? Um, and what do you find from the clinical side in your experience with you and your team? What is the student presenting with that will often uh, qualify a, a child to get a multidisciplinary approach to evaluation? So, so the, the, the multidisciplinary evaluation is, is really meant to be for those students who really have a very complex presentation in terms of, uh, you know, uh, potential involvement across multiple domains where, you know, there's, there's clear difficulties in the language development, uh, potentially difficulties in the, uh, the motoric sensory area, uh, possible impact from how they process information. So there may be attentional issues or executive function issues. It's, it's meant to be really reserved for those kids who more often than not have already gone through some individual evaluations and there may be, uh, you know, some, um, you know, differential diagnoses, you know, maybe this kid might be a child who's on the spectrum, or maybe this is a child who has attentional issues with a learning disability, but we're not exactly sure, you know, is it truly a learning disability or is it really an attentional issue? And so the kid is not focusing well enough to learn the material, you know, and so you get to this place very often in an evaluation process uh, with either the school or uh, with pediatrician or with uh, some other outside entity where they're scratching their head and saying, we're not sure what's driving the train here. We, we, we have theories, we have, you know, potential multiple diagnoses that's going in here, but we just can't seem to figure it out. And so that multidisciplinary evaluation is meant to be, um, you, know, dri- you know, really directed towards those more complex cases. Now, the, the, the other side to this, though, Jeff, that we do quite a bit of probably, you know, for all the multidisciplinary evaluations, we do, you know, eight or 10 other individual evaluations. But the way that we approach this is that even if the person is coming to me as a clinical psychologist for a, a comprehensive evaluation, and I'm looking at uh, you know, overall verbal abilities, cognitive skills, visual processing, uh, language development. You know, I'm, I'm the person doing all of that evaluation piece as part of a com- comprehensive psychoeducational evaluation. What I will do on a consistent basis is as I'm going through the analysis of the data, I'll go down the hallway to my language pathologist and say, hey, look at this data. What does it say to you? Or I'll go to the OT and say, this is what I'm seeing, you know, what do you think? Or, you know, hey, I'm going to be testing this child at 10 o'clock. Can you, you know, can you uh, sit in for a part of it so that we can have a little bit of other piece? And so a lot of times we will be doing a comprehensive psychoeducational evaluation, but we'll still involve another person to take a peek at it 
to add a little bit of depth to that. So, so we've got the multidisciplinary evaluations that might be made up of a psychologist, an occupational therapist, and a language pathologist coming together all to test and integrate a result. Or we may have a comprehensive psychoeducational that's my signature, my license on it, but still has the input from those other professionals. Right, right. So th- that's a that's a great way of of, of putting it, uh, Doctor Bogart. And you know, for so for parents that are still processing this, right, and they're they're understanding all of this, um, you know, a multidisciplinary eval isn't necessarily for you know for everyone, um, but but a parent should be thinking that they may be wanting to ask for one when there's been, for example, multiple disability eligibility categories within an IEP that have changed year over year, or the child's disability continues to evolve and change to a detriment, uh, you know, year over year as the child grows, um, versus uh, seeking, you know, kind of like a more traditional psychoeducational evaluation or psychological or neuropsych. And the recommendations could include things like a follow-up with OT, a follow-up with PT, follow-up with SLP. Um, I think it's good to explain kind of the two differences with that, because, you know, if a child's just simply having a speech and language impairment, that's a significant impairment, but that not, might not necessarily qualify them in and of itself for a full multidisciplinary um, assessment, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and we do loads and loads of those kinds of evaluations where it's really one clinician with one specialization that's doing a very deep dive into that area. But as, as I said, I would say most of our evaluations are, you know, even if it's a deep dive by a language pathologist, they're popping in, popping in my office to say, what else might be going on here at a cognitive level or, at an, a, you know, or what other pieces am I potentially missing that I should look at here? So, you know, the, the advantage to, to working in, you know, with a, a center like ours, and, and I'm not trying to be here to say we're the only one around, there's other centers that do this, types of, this, this type of stuff, but the advantage to that type of a multidisciplinary philosophy is that, you know, you're getting the benefit of multiple eyes, even if there's one person that's kind of your primary clinician that's doing that deeper dive. Right, right, right. Now, let's kind of talk a little bit about um, the role of the evaluator in the context of, um, you know, a, a dispute, if you will, or a disagreement between the, the parent team, I'll call it, versus the child's school team. And really, you know, the empowerment that a independent or mutually agreeable evaluator plays in the role to more fully inform the child's IEP. You know, um, uh, oftentimes evaluators are, are pulled in where there is that dispute. And how do you, how do you go about um, more fully informing what the child's needs are uh, when you're kind of put into that situation. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, uh, 
in, in many ways, it's a little tightrope that you need to walk because <clears throat> the most important driving force that, uh, that, that really motivates all of the clinicians I know that I work with certainly is my motivating force. And it's also, you know, uh, your motivating force as a special education attorney. And it's also the parents' motivating force and it's the school's motivating force, which is the idea of we want to do what's best for this child. Whatever this child's true needs are is what should drive wherever we end up. <clears throat> and so that's what we would, that's what we say. And that's what everybody involved in this would say. But the reality is that a lot of times people have their own, you know, perspective on, <laughs> on what that, that, you know, what that need should be and what that, you know, how that should be filled. The way that we have navigated this over the, the years, I've been both working as an independent practitioner as well as a, you know, part of this multidisciplinary practice. The way I've navigated that is upfront with anybody I'm intersecting with. If, if the superintendent of schools contacts me or a special ed director contacts me or a special ed attorney contacts me or a parent contacts me, what, what I say very much upfront is, you know, please understand that we will be doing this analysis in a you know, in a very independent fashion, meaning we're going to be doing a lot of work with your child to uh, delve into all the different layers of what might be impacting them. We will get information from the school. We'll get information from any outside providers, a pediatrician or outside tutors or things like that. We're going to pull all of this information together, but our report is going to be truly based on what our data is telling us in the context of this student's history. And our recommendations are gonna be based on that. And you might not like what those recommendations are because it might not be fulfilling what the way you see things or the, the, the direction you want things to take. And that is, you know, we, we will present this, we'll present our rationale for it, we'll present the data that backs it up, we'll, you know, we will layer this within the science that we uh, operate under and, you know, and, and anybody who contacts me after it and says, you know, could you possibly rewrite this or say it this way or, you know, put it in this language, we're going to say, no, this is what our, this is what my license tells me I need to do. This is what my ethics tells me I need to do. And that's, that's, you know, what I can really say with pride is 30 years into my profession, I, I don't think that there has been a time that uh, either a school or a parent or a special ed attorney or anybody has gotten back to me and said, you know, you know, I feel like you were biased in this situation. Right, right. You know, and I, I really applaud you and your entire team for that. Um, you know, often on the parent attorney side, right, you know, lawyers are storytellers, right? And we can tell the story, but we can't necessarily create the story. And um, you have to find your client as they are, so to speak. And oftentimes, you know, I give an analogy to my, to my parents, you know, you don't want to take your child to get any particular test with their pediatrician and tell the pediatrician, oh, and by the way, I want the results to be this, right? That's not to the benefit of your child, right? Um, instead, you want a pediatrician that's going to say, listen, here's what your child has and here are my recommendations because that's the authenticity of, of the practice. So, uh, you know, the, 
fortunately, not everyone follows that in your footsteps, doctor. But um, but it's it's great that 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 Sasco obviously Sasco River does. Um, so where where are we now with COVID? Right. So we, <laughs> for example, are we able to conduct multidisciplinary evaluations given our pandemic right now? Um, and if so, how? And what parts are able to be remote? What parts are not? What, what are kind of the best practices that have been developed regarding this as a response to the pandemic? So uh, and that, that's a, uh, a changing answer probably every day. But, uh, but here's where, where we have gotten to. And it's actually fairly comprehensive what we're able to do at this point. Um, you know, if you go back to March, April, May, basically all testing shut down because it was felt to be, uh, you know, too risky, too close to the clients, something like that. What we developed going into June, and we've kind of continually uh, altered it as the, the needs presented itself, is, is we created with the back, you know, with the guidance of the American Psychological Association and uh, uh, test publishers and, and something like that, we created a, um, a battery of tests that is considered to be scientifically valid, much of which can be administered uh, over Zoom. But what we do is we bring the student to the center and we have a, a testing room that's set up uh, uh, with uh, sound quality controlled for and the environment sterilized and you know the student has the student room and the psychologist has the psychologist room where if it's the language pathologist or whoever it is has their own room and we're able to administer um, you know a lot of the different instruments in a remote way just like we're talking today uh, but still be in the same location so if the student's having a hard time I'm there to help them to you know address whatever the issue is fix technology as necessary as time has progressed, what we've been able to do as well is set up different areas that are areas that have, uh, you know, uh, highly advanced uh, HEPA air filtration systems and have like a plexiglass barrier. So that now what we have, in addition to doing some of the stuff in a remote type setup, we're now able to be in the same room and able, uh, you know, with a socially distanced uh, situation and with the the barrier and the proper air filtration are able to do a lot of stuff face to face, but with, you know, with a, a barrier between us so that I can now see the student's mouth move, uh, or I can hear exactly what's going on, or I can administer certain stuff where I can watch much more closely exactly how the students uh, progressing through some of the tasks that I'm providing. And so uh, what we've moved to uh, through our different iterations that are getting us closer and closer and closer to being able to do things the way we were prior to the pandemic. Um, and uh, all of this has been guided by what the science says is, is valid. Um, and there are still a couple of instruments that we're not able to do, able to do but, uh, but it doesn't block us from being able to do a very comprehensive analysis. Um, you know, we, we're even, we've, we've moved back into doing sensory evaluations in a sensory gym, but we also have um, uh, a system set up where the sensory gym can be fully sterilized. We've got this aerosol sterilization thing so that uh, in between students going in there, 
and swinging on the swings and moving through some of the structures, everything is able to be uh, uh, aerosol cleansed and wiped down and things like that. And, and uh, you know, the student's wearing a mask, the occupational therapist has a mask on so you can do it in a socially distanced way. The, the gyms are, you know, uh, 800 square feet of open space with high ceilings with good filtration. So, you know, we've been operating uh, back in that capacity since June um, and we've tested now, you know, uh, well over 100 students. I, I don't know the exact number, but, you know, uh, a very large number of students. And happy to say that uh, we've had zero uh, issues with any sort of contagion, anything passed from one person to another person. So everything is working. That's um, great. That's great. Um, as a follow up, how, how are you finding uh, the uh, school districts regarding, you know, when, when you and your team have to go into district to either do a in-person, uh, you know, student observation, are, are you finding that, um, number one, are, are you being allowed to, or is it more where you can, you know, zoom in, so to speak, remotely, or a combination of the two? Yeah, so the, the school districts in our area um, are not allowing outside uh, folks to come in and observe or attend meetings in, inside the school, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, they're, they're obviously protecting the environment and limiting exposure. Um, what they, what most of them have done, and I can't say 100%, but most of them have done is allowed us to do Zoom observations, um, you know, of, of the student. They have to do it, obviously, in a way that is protecting the confidentiality of the other students and things like that. But but we've been able to get those snapshots, uh, you know, within within the classroom. We've done a lot more of um, having, uh, you know, in the past we would always get input from the team. Now we get even a lot more input. So, you know, very often we're scheduling a, a you know a full hour with all the different members of the team to have a discussion about what they're all seeing from their different perspective. You know, whereas before we might get that in writing as a rating scale. We still get the rating scales done, but we might've just gotten that kind of on a forum. Now we're actually having these kinds of meetings with the different members of the team. So, right. um, the private schools, interestingly, so it, it varies according to private schools. I, I, you know, I know you're more focused on the public schools and, and uh, public education law and stuff like that, but uh, private schools vary. We have some private schools that are allowing us to come in and do observations. Uh, or if they don't, they're usually allowing this through the video technology. Great, great. Um, and how are your how are your clinics, you know, going in response to to COVID? I know that you know a lot of um, uh, parents really enjoy having their children go to after school uh, day clinics, and um, mm -hmm. you know how how has that been in response to COVID? So. You know, whenever you, whenever we're able to uh, successfully and therapeutically deliver the service via, uh, you know, remote technology, we're doing that. So we're doing a lot of teletherapy with kids. Uh, you know, generally, that's a lot more successful with the teenagers and young adults that we work with. Uh, you know, parent meetings we do uh, almost 100% through Zoom technology at this point. There are a lot of younger kids that don't do so well in that sort of a setting. And so um, starting back in uh, May, when the weather was nicer and stuff like that, 
we started doing a lot of outdoor therapy. So we would meet a child at a park or, you know, meet them on the grounds of our center and we would go for walks or throw football back and forth. And we would have therapy outside. Uh, we did a lot of occupational therapy at, at various playgrounds and uh, really used outside as much as possible. On a day like today, where it's uh, 15 degrees and windy and cold and stuff like that, um, what we are able to do is uh, we've got um, uh, a number of, you know, in our Darien location, we've got five rooms set up, each of which is uh, a minimum of 300 square feet, and some of them are about 500 square feet that are much larger. Again, we put in uh, high-end filtration systems, um, and we're meeting in these rooms at a good social distance, uh, but able to conduct most of our services. And, and I mentioned before what we're doing for the sensory OT evaluations, where we have the ability to sterilize between patients. So we're doing occupational therapy. It's not as efficient or as easy as, as it was a year ago before a pandemic, but, uh, but we're getting it done. So. That's great. That's great. Well, Dr. Bogart, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you know, uh, the, the importance of multidisciplinary evaluations, I really think is something that's continuing to be at the forefront and um, especially for students that are needing them. And it's important for parents to know about them. So I wanna thank you for, for really opening up and sharing your expertise about this for the benefit of, uh, for the parents that are listening. That's great. Thank you, Jeff, for inviting me. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Let's Talk Sped Law. By the way, we now have over 7,000 downloads. So I want to thank the audience for listening and tuning in every week. Uh, stay tuned for another episode. Thank you and take care.